She's a writer and a mom. Maybe that's why she wrote such a powerful book that can be read in one sitting by the fire with a nice cup of coffee or cocoa this holiday season. Rebecca McLaughlin, welcome to Spirit 105.3. And thanks for writing Is Christmas Unbelievable? It's wonderful. Oh, I had so much fun writing it, (laughs) even though I was writing in the midsummer. (laughs) (laughs) What inspired you to write this book? Do you know, it's it's part of a series uh, that comes out every year of of short evangelistic books about Christmas. But it's something that my heart was super drawn to when I was asked to write it, because especially growing up in the UK in in an even more um, secular country than than the US is, is in many ways, Christmas was just this extraordinary opportunity. It was a time when even my most pagan friends might be open to coming to a carol service or or having a conversation because of the, the cultural weight that Christmas has in our world. And I wanted to write a book that was addressed to those sorts of folks, to people who have maybe some cultural attachment to Christmas, but don't take the story of Jesus seriously at all. What kind of response have you gotten? Well, so far, um, I'm having, I'm encouraging people to read it who would be in a position to share it with their friends. Um, so this is kind of a, the stage that we're at in the, the cycle towards Christmas is that, um, you know, whether it's pastors who might share this at their Christmas services and give it out, or whether it's people who send out a Christmas letter to friends and family who could buy an extra big envelope this year and, and put this a very little book um, into it. I think what's, what's been exciting is the fact that this book takes a slightly different approach than many other evangelistic books around Christmas in that it's really looking hard at the tough questions, the skeptical questions that people might have. So people who aren't even sure of Jesus actually existed, people who wouldn't see the Gospels as being at all historically reliable, people who would think that believing in a virgin birth was completely crazy, and those sorts of folks. They're trying to um, speak directly to their concerns and to start with the place of skepticism as a sort of launching point and then um, work towards pointing them towards Jesus. One of the things I love about our faith, Rebecca, is that there are answers for what we believe. And we were just wondering if you would just take us like a tour guide through your book. We're going to ask you these four questions and maybe you could touch on each one. Is that okay? Yeah, enough to. So was Jesus even a real person? Let's start there. This is a question which is a remarkable proportion of people are not sure about. And it's a question that is, is very much answerable even from um, a non-Christian perspective. So pretty much any serious historian will affirm that, yes, Jesus did exist and live as a, as a real person in the first century. And we have evidence for Jesus's life, not just from the, the New Testament texts, which are actually very strong historical documents in themselves. But even if we kind of set those aside, we have evidence from multiple early texts written by people who didn't even like Christians, hmm. uh, affirming the basic facts of Jesus's life. So, so people who are kept from considering Christianity because they'd say something like, well, I mean, how can you be sure that Jesus was a real person? That question can be answered quite straightforwardly and shouldn't really be an, an issue for people anymore. So then what about, what about the second question? Can we take the Gospels seriously? You know, I think people's skepticism about the, the Gospels comes from a couple of different places. One is this idea that the Gospels were written so long after Jesus's life, death, and resurrection that people couldn't possibly have remembered that far back, or that they've been, you know, the, the metaphor is sometimes used of it's, it's like the telephone game where yes. you know, one child whispers a message into the ear of the next child, and they whisper to the next child, and they whisper to the next child, and you go around the circle, and then the last child says what they think they heard, and everyone laughs at how different it was. So that, that's one of the metaphors that sometimes you know, atheists and, and skeptical folks will use when they're describing the process by which the Gospels came about. 
And it's actually completely misleading. Uh, the, the Gospels were written well within the lifetimes of eyewitnesses of Jesus's ministry and death and resurrection. And it seems like they're actually specifically written down when they were because those eyewitnesses were, were starting to die out. So previously, you could just go and talk to the people who had seen um, the things that Jesus did and heard what he taught. And then, um, you know, folks were wanting to, to compile those stories and those teachings so that when the eyewitnesses did die out, we wouldn't lose that um, accurate account of Jesus's life. And so that's one of the directions that people take is to say it was so long after the event, couldn't possibly be reliable. The reality is that Mark's gospel, even by relatively conservative estimates, was written probably between sort of 35 and 45 years after Jesus's death and resurrection. And depending on how old people are, that will either sound like a long time or not a long time. Right? <laughs> um, I can't remember things that happened 35 to 40 years ago, um, but my parents absolutely can. And my grandparents can have, remember things comfortably that happened 60 years ago, you know, when they, if they were important events in their lives. Mm-hmm. And of course, Jesus, you know, had his, his 12 apostles whose full-time job was to be the folks who travel around with him, listen to his teachings, remembered. I mean, a, a, a Jewish rabbi would have disciples whose literal job was to rem- remember what they said, a bit like um, actors learning a script. <laughs> and, yeah. and after Jesus' death and resurrection, they, they went on a, a world tour. Um, so it wasn't like, you know, if I just asked you now, hey, can you remember a random thing that happened 35 years ago without any context or any you know, practice in between? It would be like me saying, you know, hey, do you remember that incredibly important thing that happened um, that long ago in your life that you've been talking about ever since right. and that multiple other people witnessed as well? So there's, there's that direction that I think, yeah, is, is often the main reason people don't take the gospel account seriously. Um, and I think that can be easily addressed just by looking at the evidence. So helpful. So how can you believe in a virgin birth? I think this is a real tough one for a lot of people. Yeah, it's interesting. I, a lot of people, I think, would say, you know, I, I believe in God, but the idea of a virgin giving birth is like a, a bridge too far. It's like a supernatural bridge beyond where, I, where I'm willing to go. And, and at first that can sound reasonable. But if we actually think about the logic of that, if there is a creator God who made the entire universe and every human being in it, it's actually kind of illogical to think that he couldn't have made one human being differently. I love and it'd be a bit like saying, you know, to Simone Biles, I know you're the greatest gymnast of all time, but I best, bet you can't do a somersault. Like <laughs> it's sort of, um, the virgin birth is actually sort of quite trivial in terms of it just being, you know, a, a miracle um, from God's perspective. And um, of course, the, the implications of the incarnation and God becoming human are like massive and earth shattering. But it, it's actually almost illogical to say, well, I believe in God, but I, I couldn't believe that God enabled one woman um, to have, have a baby without a man. And I think there's another area, another sort of angle of the, the skepticism on that question, which is, well, hasn't modern science shown that virgins don't give birth? And the reality is, well, I mean, yes. At the same time, people 2,000 years ago also knew well that virgins don't give birth. Like, we didn't need modern science to tell us the basic facts of life. And some of the top scientists in the world today believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. So the idea that if we're actually kind of modern scientific people who understand how babies are made, we're not going to buy the story about a virgin giving birth actually doesn't, doesn't stand up. I absolutely love your perspective, Rebecca. Wow. That last question you ask, why does it matter? What? How do you sum that up, basically? Yeah, in a couple of different directions. One is just at the personal level, where people might be in a space where they, they believe theoretically that Jesus did come and was the Son of God. I mean, the, the, um, the statistics, even around people who believe that Jesus was actually raised from the dead, but whose lives 
seem to reveal nothing in terms of their kind of Christian participation or interest is is quite startling. Like it seems like people are, are able to, at one level, believe something about Jesus without actually recognizing this has the most profound implications for themselves and how they live, and, and that they're missing out in, in the most tragic and extraordinary way if they have a sort of theoretical belief about Jesus that doesn't translate into their own lives. The, the second angle that I'm, I'm taking in that chapter is to say, actually, we've no idea how much we lose when we take Jesus out of the equation. So we, we think, for example, many of our non-Christian friends would think that there are some basic moral truths that we can all agree on, regardless of any religious foundation. So, for example, the truth that all human beings are created equal. You know, it seems like a self-evident truth to us. Like, of course, everyone's fundamentally morally equal, regardless of their race or nationality or sex or, or age. But actually, if we, if we look at the history of thought, we'll find that that idea came specifically from Christianity. And without Christianity, we don't have any compelling foundation for that belief. Um, likewise, the belief that the, the rich and the strong and the powerful should not be allowed to oppress um, the poor and the, the weak and the marginalized. Mm. And things, again, that we sort of see as basic moral common sense, actually a, a Christian belief. I could listen to you talk about this all day long. Rebecca, I know you're a mom. How do you make Christmas real for your kids? You know, a few years ago when my, my now nine-year-old was, <clears throat> I think, four or five, I, I was reading her the, the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary in the run-up to Christmas. Um, and she said to me after, you know, I, I read her the story, she said, I don't believe that. And I thought, uh, okay, I think that's sort of not what every Christian mom wants to hear from right. their, their four-year-old mouth. And so I said, I sort of probed a little. I said, you know, okay, do, you know, do you believe that God made the world and made you? And she said, yeah, yeah, and no, I believe that. And I said, well, do, do you believe that Jesus came and died for your sins and, and was raised um, for your justification? She said, yeah, yeah, and no, I believe that. It turned out it was the angel that she didn't buy. <laughs> you know, she was like... I can, everything else makes sense, but not this angel, because I think, especially in kids' minds, angels are kind of like the fairy on top of the Christmas tree, except bigger, and she was old enough to not believe in fairies, so why would she believe in angels? Wow. Um, what's, what was really refreshing, actually, about that conversation, um, and about many other ones I had with her, in particular growing up, was the fact that she was taking the claims of the Bible very seriously. I actually would prefer that, and her saying, wait a minute, I don't know that I believe this, wanting to really ask questions, dig in and push on things, rather than just sort of saying, okay, yeah, yeah, mum, whatever, um, it's Christmas, let's enjoy, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think from the ground up, what I'm trying to do with my kids is to, to make space for questions, to take the claims of the Bible very seriously myself. I don't have a hard line about this, but we actually, we don't tell our kids that there's a man dressed up in red who comes down the chimney and gives them presents because sure. I don't really want them to be confused. You know, well, some of the things we tell you about Christmas are true and others <laughs> others aren't. Right. Um, so, so trying to keep that focus on, on, on Jesus and how important the truth of Christmas is, actually. She's mm-hmm. a great mom and author of the book Is Christmas Unbelievable? Rebecca, thank you for hanging out with us on Christmas Spirit 105.3. Thanks for having me.